0: So like you said, I'm Julie. I have been on staff here now for about four weeks, so here we go. Um, and I am excited to be here. I've loved, I've been, my husband and I and our three kids have been here for about, I think almost 12 years, which sounds weird to say out loud that I'm not old, but I think we're around there. Um, like Russ said, it is Clipboard Sunday, and if this is your first Sunday here, or if you are a parent and have always wondered why we do Clipboard Sunday, totally understandable that you've wondered that. I just want to reiterate what he was saying and we at New Community fully believe in living life together and living life in community Um, and part of community is family and part of community is kids. So once a month we don't want to just say that we're a community, we want to worship and be in a community community together. So today will be louder, there will be distractions and I say embrace it and love it and if you're a parent just roll with it, it will be great and nobody cares if your kid is loud, so welcome. If you are a kid, can you guys stand up just for one second? Let's just give it up for them. Yeah, there's some in the back. Kids, we are glad you are here. You are fantastic. One thing, if you notice on the back page of your clipboard, there is a sheet of paper with a bunch of words on it. Take note of that sheet. You might have been wondering what that was. During this talk, it's like a little word scavenger hunt, if you will. When you hear me say one of those words, just circle it or color it or mark it off. And then at the end of the service, Allison, will you raise your hand, Allison? Go show your paper to her, and she will give you a prize when you show her how many words you marked off. All right? So find those. Like Chris said, I love summer as well. I think we all do. There's more things going on. There's barbecues. There's lakes. There's tons of fun things to do. Um, I've lived in Spokane now for my whole life, and something surprises me every single summer. And I don't know why it comes as such a surprise, but... I always forget that summer is also construction season. Is anybody else? If you were construction, thank you. It's a hard job. It's a thankless job. And I really appreciate what you do to make the city better. But I have to take like 15 to 20 extra minutes every time I go anywhere. Because it doesn't matter where I'm going. I find the construction zones. I, the other day I was driving actually from here. And I was trying to get up to the South Hill. It's was like, I just have a couple. I just need to go to Joanne Fabrics. I've got three girls. We have a million rubber bands we have to buy for those bracelets and spread throughout our house for the vacuum and so I was going down on a one way and I thought I'm just going to take Perry I'm just going to do a quick little little jaunt up and I went to go turn left totally blocked off and I was like okay that's fine and there's a detour sign and I thought I'm not going to I'm not going to deal with that I know my way around I'm just going to go up a few blocks take a left I'm not going to follow those signs I'm just going to cut back around on that one way and miss that section so I do that But then the next section is blocked off as well when I try and go up to the right. So then I find myself on this one way headed towards the freeway and I'm trying to go the other way and there's no way to do it. So I end up going this ridiculous route and I end up, I grew up on the South Hill but I end up in an area I didn't even know was a part of Spokane. And I, to the point where I was was lost to the point where I had to get my phone out. I was really embarrassed and I shouldn't actually say this, but I had to get my phone out, MapQuest, thankfully that creepy map thing tells you right where you're at and guides you out. But point being, I probably should have just followed the detour sign and I would have made it about 20 minutes earlier. And I share this with you because I think that in a lot of ways this is how life is. I think we make these great plans and we try and map out our way and we try and do all these things and we come to these roadblocks. And sometimes it feels like we're hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock and there's these detour signs and construction zones and we have to figure our way out through them and we try and make our own routes and we don't follow the signs and we do all these things. And, um, and that's hard. I think, and I think as I was reading through Acts, as we've been going over it, we find this a lot in Acts, and we find it with Paul, that he hits a lot of construction zones, so before I jump into the scripture, let me just pray really quick, and if as we're praying, you can grab your Bibles out, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 24 and 25, but God, thank you for today, thank you for the summer, and that it's just real hot in here, and God, I ask that you calm my nerves and that you deliver this message and that you will speak to us in here, to all of us. We love you. Amen. So, I'm just going to start off with giving a brief overview of these two chapters. We're not going to read through the whole thing together. I'm just going to kind of tell you you what happens, the cliff notes, if you will. So, we left off last week with um, Kevin and Joe talking about chapter 23, where Paul had gone to Jerusalem to spread the gospel. Didn't quite go as planned. Instead of being able to do that and give gifts to the poor, the Jews capture him. They want him arrested. They are angry and they are mad. They're rioting. And the Roman guard has Paul and is about to take Paul to Caesarea because the Roman guard had heard that there's a plot to kill Paul. But Paul, they wanted to try Paul because he was a Roman citizen and so they want to take him to a safe place. So they take him to Caesarea, where a man named Felix is governor. Now, if you're governor at that time, you are also the judge and rule over these cases. So that's where chapter 24 picks up as Paul's about to enter into his trial of the Jews accusing him of all these things that he actually didn't do. So um, it starts, chapter 24, um, the Jews create this council, they bring this lawyer, and they are here's the, the case that they present against Paul. It says, Verse 5, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about him. All these charges, are bringing, all these charges we are bringing against him. And the Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. Not really much there, right? They basically say he's a troublemaker, a ringleader, he tried to desecrate the temple. They kind of twist that a bit. He didn't actually do it, but they were trying to say that he tried to, which he wasn't going to. So it's a pretty weak case against him. So then Paul comes up. He delivers his defense, which is basically being, tells his story. He's very truthful. He says, this is what I did. This is where I've been. I've done nothing wrong. I followed the laws. Um, I serve, he, he says, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law, and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So he's saying, not only have I done nothing wrong, but I basically believe in the same God that these guys do. And they're just mad. So Felix now, is in this this governor, is in this really hard spot, because his job is to keep the peace. And what he is realizing is that Paul has done nothing wrong, and therefore he can't charge him with anything. But if he releases Paul as an innocent person, there are going to be huge riots in the city, and there's going to be attacks on Paul, and it's going to be this really messy situation. So he does what any person would do in that situation, and he says, Then Felix, who is well acquainted with the way, adjourn the proceedings, When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess, sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Can't decide what to do? No big deal. Leave him in prison, and I'll let somebody else deal with it a few years later. So then, again, this is just a brief overview, and we'll kind of jump more into it. Then Festus is now the new governor two years later, and he's left to deal with Paul. And to cut this story short, basically the exact same, same scene plays out. The Jews come, they present a case against Paul, Paul defends himself, he's innocent, Festus doesn't know what to do, because he hasn't done anything wrong, but he doesn't want to upset the Jews. So it's kind of this give and take all the way back through. Meanwhile, Paul is just waiting through all this and defending himself, and meanwhile, through all of this is still spreading the gospel and sharing Christ and remaining hopeful and remaining faithful and remaining true to his whole purpose and being here this entire time. So any opportunity he's given, he not only defends himself, but he says, this is what I believe. I am believing in Christ, and this is who he is, and this is what we're doing. Not, get me out of here. I need to get out of here as quick as possible. But here's who Christ is. Now, let's go back to verse 27. And if you have your Bible, this may not be one of those memory verses that you guys will ever pull out, but this part is what stuck out to me. It says, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Festus. Two years. I think we skim over that all the time and think, oh, Paul did a lot of missionary journeys, he had some hard stuff, but he sat in prison for two years. Picture for a second if somebody in this room were to go to prison with no charges, completely innocent, and had to sit there for two years. We would be up in arms. It would be ridiculous, but he keeps a good attitude through the whole thing and just continues to focus on his hope in christ and usually when i think about paul i think about how bold he is or how brave he is or all these really great things and try and compare myself if i want to follow christ i need to be like paul or all these things and what struck to me most in this section as i was reading this passage is that is his quiet faithfulness he's loyal and steadfast to the lord and his devotion to the lord was convicting he stays true to his mission all the way through um he had a great plan, mind you, though. It wasn't even like he was doing anything wrong, but he came up to this major roadblock. He wanted to go spread the gospel. But he was, it was drastically interrupted, and I can fully imagine that two years was not in his timeline for spreading the gospel. But he didn't let that change his faithfulness. So, is there anyone here who's ever had a plan that may have been interrupted a little bit? No one. <laughs> I don't even think I need to give this message, then. Um, really? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. How many of you were interrupted on the way to get to church this morning, probably? I think that's probably a little bit better. Um, I think if you were to ask us, I think we would, ultimately everybody in here would desire fully that we want to remain faithful to the Lord, and that we want to be diligent, and we want to be steadfast, and we desire this. But what's interesting is that as soon as our timelines and our plans are messed up, I've noticed it almost just completely derails us as if there's a roadblock and I have no idea what to do and I can't stay faithful and we get so angry and frustrated and consumed with all these things that we want to be doing, that we can't even get past that roadblock. Um, And so Mike, I've got two questions today. Uh, The first one is, why is it so hard to wait? And why is it so hard to remain faithful in times of either trial or times of confusion or even just when things don't go as planned? And instead of embracing these situations, we oftentimes um, express frustration and anger towards God that we have to take a longer path. So, first question, why, do we have to be, why is it so hard to be faithful? I think the main reason is that we live in a society that wants everything immediately. And not only wants it immediately, but usually gets it immediately. And we, it's to the point now where we almost evaluate if something is worth doing, not because it's good or right or what we're supposed to do, but if it takes the least amount of time to do it so that we can get on to our next thing. Um, And the bummer about this is that wanting instant gratification and instant happiness, God's plan is not always quick. And oftentimes it takes a lot of patience, and a lot of times it's really slow, but it's worth it. And I have a short video that we're going to play real quick that kind of demonstrates this. It's made up of a few kids, so... Many of you may have seen this before. Okay, Timothy, I have one marshmallow here for you, and you can either eat it or you can save it. When I come back later, if you haven't eaten, I'll give you another marshmallow, and then you'll have two, and then you'll have two, and then you'll have two. Okay. I'm saving. Okay. So at this point, if they wait, they get two marshmallows at the end. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. We can stop that video now. Okay, Timothy, I have one marshmallow. So, this is just a short, a short snippet of this video, but it's a study done. And the majority of the kids, or a lot of the kids, popped that marshmallow right in their mouth as soon as the door was shut and could not wait. The idea of waiting for two marshmallows, they just couldn't handle it. So, just ate it. A lot of them would wait three minutes, and that was like the next cutoff. And the majority of people ate it by then. But some kids waited till the very end and sat there. And we, we laugh at this. And we think, oh, kids, they're so impatient. But really, this is us. Like, honestly, I think this is us in life. And it's a great example of that. Um, we want that second marshmallow. But we're not willing to put in the time to wait for it. Or not willing to put in the faithfulness. Because the one in front of us looks so good. Or even worse yet, the one in front of us looks good enough. So we settle for a single marshmallow, because it's quick and convenient, and when there's so much more waiting, but there's so much more waiting for us if we can just remain faithful. If we embrace the process and wait and work through the struggles. Here's what I'm saying though. I don't want you to hear me say, Oh, if you guys are just faithful and you wait and you're patient, you're gonna have this really great life and you get lots of things and life is good. That's not also that's not how life works. But what I am saying is that when we are faithful, it does not get rid of the hard and painful things in life. When we are faithful, though, we experience a life of depth and value and beauty, of richness and growth and a life of fulfillment that is found only in Christ. And it's only found in him. That's because that is why Christ came. He, he even says it. In John 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So do you see that? Not just life, but life to the full. True life only comes from Christ, but we can't see that because we're too busy eating that first marshmallow so much. And I think this happens because we lose perspective. We think we have a better route. We think if we just cut around these ideas and these detours, they must not be there for the reason that I think they're. We cut around them, and I'm gonna go my own way, and we end up lost on the South Hill in some weird neighborhood that we can't find our way out of. But if we can focus on who Christ is and why he came, we will realize that waiting is just part of it, and it's a beautiful part of it. And oftentimes those little detours, I mean, think about that. For, I know it's kind of, I'm not trying to overplay this, but the, de- the detour that was there, it was the road was blocked off for a reason, right? There's danger. It's going to damage the car. I'm not going to get to where I want. And it's the same thing in life. I think a lot of times we forget that, that Christ has what's best for us, and if we go these other routes, we're running into a pit, and we're running into death, and we're running into these things that are not full. They may look like it, but they're not. So sometimes we have to wait. Back to Paul. Paul was on trial. He was wrongfully accused. He wasn't, wasn't even charged, but was held and made wait for two years. But you can tell he wasn't even concerned with waiting, as if the two years in prison, his circumstances didn't even matter. It had nothing to do with it, that he just could still stay focused on it. So I started thinking about this for a little bit, because in this chapter it doesn't say, It just shows that he was there, and then he remained faithful. And I say that because at the end of it, he's still spreading the gospel and still preaching that he loves Christ. So I started to look back and think, how did he do this? It's hard in these times of waiting, right? So how did he do this? And it doesn't say it here, so I started to go back and I looked through some of the interactions that Paul had with Christ. And in chapter 22, he's talking to a crowd of people, and he's retelling his conversion story. And it says... About noon, I came near Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Did you guys get it? No big deal. All it is, is he asked. We try and create these amazing things and these formulas and try and do these things, and we look at Paul's life and say, if I do this, this, and this, I must need to go to Africa, or I need to do that, or do this. But all Paul did was ask. That's what it looks like to be faithful in whatever situation we're in. And again, don't be Paul. You are not Paul. I am not Paul. And I don't want to try to be Paul. I wanna be who God has created me to be. And so when I come into these situations or when you go into them, they may be small situations. It may be as simple as the day's not going like I planned it out and nothing is working out. Lord, what shall I do? But then there's those times in your life where life has thrown everything it has at you. And it is hard and relationships are broken and there is death and there is awful awful things in this world what does it look like to be faithful then I think it's the same thing and I think it may sound like a painful hurting desperate cry out to the Lord but it's still Lord what shall I do because I think we interact with Christ and we often say okay God here's my plan here's what I'm doing fit into it help me do this where Paul interacts with Christ and encounters him and says wow What shall I do? You've got this. And the beautiful part of this is that being faithful is simply an attitude of asking what his plan is and what our role is in it. Not asking him to fit into our plan. And whatever the situation may be, he will answer it. He promises us that. He says that if we seek him, he will answer us. That answer may be audible. I Personally, don't have a ton of that where I just hear, but I know there are people who are, and that's great. Sometimes it's a realigning of our heart, sometimes it's a nudge, sometimes it's a word through a friend, and sometimes it's not right away. But he promises us that if we ask, he will answer. So here's the tension with that though. He will answer. So I'm assuming that there's people here today that want to trust him, want to be faithful. And knows deep down that he has what's best for you. Just knows it. But you don't wanna ask, What shall I do? Because, one, maybe you're too consumed or frustrated with your circumstances that you can't even think about that idea of asking. Or two, or like Felix in verse 25, you hear the answer or already know what the answer is gonna be, but you don't wanna do it because it will take you out of your comfort zone or your situation or it might just be something you don't even want to do, or the answer may be wait and you want it now. But let me make a really big claim here. His route is always better. No matter how long it takes, and no matter how hard it is, it is always 100% of the time better than yours, than mine. It's a proven fact in history. I can't, I don't have the statistics, but I I there's not like a study up there, but it's true. And that's the thing about Paul. When he asked, the Lord answered, and Paul did. And honestly, sometimes it comes down to just that. I was talking with Kevin about this this week, and I was like, can I I say that? Like, it's just that? Like, there doesn't have to be anything more than that? And he's like, yeah, I think. And so we just have this conversation about that. Sometimes that's all it is. It's just you ask, and you listen, and you do. And we have to just do that. Doesn't need to be a big theological debate. Just ask, listen, and do. And the last section that I'm going to talk about real briefly is that um, there's one more thing in this scripture that talks about why Paul was faithful and how he remained faithful. And it says in chapter 24, verse 23, that the guard was to give Paul some freedom and permit his friends to come and take care of his needs. And I think when it says this, this means more than just food and water. It means more than just coming in, giving a high five and a pat on the back. But I, in this time and this day, back then, the community of believers was so tight-knit, and they did it. They lived life together, and they fought together. And Paul, even in this time, needed community. Paul, this great leader and this great guy who was seeking the Lord, needed community. And I think we need this today. I guarantee, well, I wasn't there, but I'm assuming these guys, or these people came with him, and they prayed with him, and they worshiped with him, and they challenged him, and they encouraged him and said, Paul, I know... I know you don't know what's going on. I know you got to face another day, and you don't know when you're going to get out of here or if you are. But stay true. You can do this. And the same is true for us. If we're to remain faithful, we need people in our lives. We need family. We need community. We need small groups. We need each other to do it, to encourage us, to laugh with us, to hold us accountable, to walk through these detours with us, and to just do it with us. We were even talking about this in our small group this week, that what if for the next couple weeks before summer starts, or before summer ends, let me rephrase this. We usually will map out the plan for the year, what we're going to talk about, separate things up, who's going to speak when, who's going to lead the lesson, all those things, and we map it all out. But what if this year we spent three weeks, and now this is kind of a challenge to our small group, because I'm really throwing it out in front of the church, but we said, what what if we just prayed, and we asked, and we said... God, where do you want us to go? Not what do we want to do and what do we want to learn, but what do you want us to learn? And then we waited and saw where he led us and did it. And so my, my encouragement to you or my challenge to you guys this week, um, I've, I've started trying this. And just in the day-to-day, I've started to, when things are coming up, I've started to say, okay, Lord, what do you want from this? And what I've noticed is that my, my heart is changing, my perspective is changing, and my purpose of why I'm doing the things I'm doing is becoming put right in front of my face and I'm able to remain faithful in those little situations and I imagine if I start practicing this now when the big situations come I'm hoping that even though it's hard it will just become the natural response of okay, I don't know but Lord what do you want me to do? So my encouragement to you is to start that this week and try it do it with a friend, do it by yourself start today right when you leave and just simply say Lord what do you want? And then talk about it in your small groups and in your communities and talk about how we can do this together. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be great. So, um, yeah, try it. Let's pray, and then Russ is going to come back up. God, thank you for this church, and thank you for these people here. Thank you that you love us and that you have mapped out a route for us, Lord. Um, God, I just ask that you encourage us this week and that as we face normal weekly challenges or major life challenges this week, Lord, that you will remind us that you have it all routed out, God, and that all you want us to do is ask, and you will show us, and you will answer. God, we love you so much. Um, Be with us as we go. Amen.